podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is the weekend of Neil Atkinson with Daniels, Morgan and Austin. I have got John Gibbons. John is going to excite us in a minute or two. However. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, we've also got to come, uh, Simon Edwards, to talk about the Copper America. And who have you got to talk about the tennis? Anders Borg. Anders Borg, not Bjorn's lad. No, no. Uh, similar generation, uh, I think. Really? Yeah. Uh, the Borgs. They get about uh, like nobody's business. But before then, this show is entitled and this show is about Mbappe 2020. It's been a conversation, a hot conversation in the office between me and John. John, hit me with Mbappe 2020. Uh, it's on, is, is the first thing you need to know. Uh, but I'll give you more. Uh, basically, these huge transfers now, the, the sort of years in the making, they're not, you know, you don't just you know wake up in, in April and go oh, I think we'll buy Mbappe this summer it doesn't happen it's it's years in the making they've been tracking him since he was a teenager obviously his, his meteoric rise and then the um, and then the, the big money move to PSG sort of caught everyone a bit kind of not off guard but what happened sooner than what everyone including Liverpool thought really but they've obviously stayed in touch with him they're obviously still you know think he's brilliant and it just feels like there's a bit of an aggressive courting going on this summer Um the, the, the poor Joyce retweet got everyone kind of a bit excited, but I think, uh, you know, Joyce, he doesn't throw retweets around. You know, he's not like me. I'm no, no, no. Uh, but he doesn't he doesn't throw retweets he's around. He's very selective. Yeah, about, uh, he's never retweeted me, for example. Um, probably for the best. <laughs> and then he's over there doing doing bits with LeBron James, isn't he? And LeBron is obviously a part owner of Family Sports Group, who own Liverpool. And what I think they're having a big chat about is don't worry too much about what you earn from a football club. Think about yourself as a global brand and what you can earn as a business man. Um, so I think I think that's what they're talking about. I think it's something that uh, FSG have facilitated and I think it's all um, connected with the possibility of uh, Mbappe 2020. Uh, it might be... <laughs> I mean, we've had to talk about this. Isn't it? The only slight negative is it might be a kind of a, a long-term Mo Salah replacement, which may be a little bit sad. But maybe not. Maybe we'd end up with all of them. Um, but I think there's um, I think there's a lot going on, and I don't think there's any guarantees because there isn't in life, but I think it is It is one that... Um, that yeah, the... The, 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 they're trying to make happen and they're trying to f- figure out ways that it works financially for everyone and I think this is what the LeBron James thing is all about uh, that's our part of our Mbappe 2020 uh, bandwagon that we're inviting you to jump on um, we're saying to you right now that the Anfield Raps come out it's come out early uh, to, to back Mbappe 2020 our endorsement could make all the difference <laughs> uh, um, to the Mbappe 2020 bandwagon uh, Dan Austin how are you feeling about Mbappe 2020? It'll certainly cushion the blow of Trump 2020 if it happens. <laughs> um, and it's happened earlier, before yeah, November. Yeah, so it's it's by then. <laughs> Nuclear war, he's already scored seven. He's <laughs> got seven and five here. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, if I could pick anyone footballer to come and play for Liverpool on the planet, it would be him. Um, I love him, I think he's great. Uh, not just in terms of putting the ball in the net, I think he's a sound lad as well, it seems like. Um, he's already won a World Cup. So why not Mbappe 2019? Why do we think we've got to wait? I get the point about it takes years and years to do them, but if they've been looking at him since he was 17, it's I think they'll have, they'll, have an issue, they'll have an issue around uh, the fact that Neymar 2019 is pretty determined and Paris Saint-Germain will want to lose both in the same window. And Neymar seems to be really eager to get out, whereas I think Mbappe will 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 pick his moment a little bit more. I, I, I basically think Mbappe's next club is Real Madrid or Liverpool, and I think that we can be as well-placed, if not better-placed than them. I'm, I'm genuinely... Okay. I, I'm, I am on the... He's not being Real Madrid. 
third on Pro Evo, is he? That's no, all I'm saying. He's or not FIFA or whatever game he was playing the other day. He's we not picked Liverpool. He's. Still, I think it's. I think it's an. It's, I think it's really, really interesting. I think in general the Mbappe thing is that interesting because if you if you say Mbappe's not going to stay in Paris Saint Germain for the rest of his life, beating farmers, <laughs> and instead is at some sort of point going to want to go to a to a proper football club, then we end up in the situation where there's actually only about four or five of them, and right now Liverpool is in that list. So it isn't far-fetched, and I think there's this desire, and I th- partially using the Mbappe 2020 bandwagon to sort of tell that story, but also in and of itself saying it's it's not far-fetched, this. Great footballers have to go somewhere, and if you're 22 years old, 23 years old, Liverpool's as good a place as absolutely anywhere else. There is a lot of um, disharmony at that football club as well, so it, when he won the uh, Player of the Year award in, in Ligue 1, he, he went to the ceremony, got the trophy, and then they asked him to do a speech, just thinking it would be the same old... Oh, thanks to me teammates, thanks to me family, whatever. And he basically fronted Paris Saint Germain as a whole. <laughs> Revealed um, in Mbappe 2020. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a tattoo across his chest with a live beard in, in, in both the zeros. Le- <laughs> Le- LeBron just stood behind him, <laughs> snarling at people. Right, right. <laughs> Badgeman comes out to present him the trophy. <laughs> so what did he say? What, what was his what was uh, Paris Saint Germain beef? They're not as good as Liverpool. Um, not quite, but he, he basically said that it has an absolutely atrocious year, and then he dragged them to the title, and they were terrible in the cup competitions. Um, and uh, and that if that was the case, he wouldn't be sticking around for around for very long. That he was already thinking about his next challenges. Um, so it was early May, I think he gave that. that he does speech. need a new challenge. Um, I think I think he's fine for a few years in the. If if they bought well and had a better manager, he could win the European Cup there potentially. So he'd be fine just sticking around until he was twenty three. Well, you know, gets the happens. final every no, year. No, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but I mean, from his own point of view, because it is like his team as well. I think that's part of where the the front in them comes from. Like he does genuinely want them to be better. Um, because he cares about Paris Saint-Germain he didn't give a shit about Monaco he just got tucked there when he was a teenager because he'd, he'd been bombed by PSG um, but I think I, I think him and his agents are plotting the rest of his career like like any sane agents and players are doing in this day and age um, so I think part of this I'll go to Dan Morgan on this I think part of what Liverpool can do that a lot of other clubs can't do is when you talk about this world star thing I don't think Paris Saint-Germain can create a world star our best players on the front of Time magazine our best mm. players got a mural in New York. Our best players seen as genuinely for a variety of reasons, which includes him, by the way, includes the fact that we give him free reign. He's seen as a cultural leader and a cultural architect, in a sense. And I think that if genuinely, if you actually map this through, if you wanted to say to Mbappe, where do you want to go to be the world's dominant footballer? I think, yeah, you can say Real Madrid, but there's actually more story and more heft, which I think is what John's getting at with the think about how you're making your money conversation. Sorry. There's actually more of that, I think, if he plays for Liverpool, which I know sounds unlikely, but I think that that's almost what Liverpool is now. Liverpool is the is the global story, and this is one of the many things that winds up Evertonians. Yeah, I mean, this football club appeals to every football in, world, in the world. Right now, no matter what level they are, you know, there's not a footballer on the planet who doesn't look at Liverpool and think, yeah, that that's you know, that's a viable option for me. Of course I'd want to go there. I think something with Mbappe, maybe you wonder if it is a thing and, and there's no reason to say it's not. And that's that's something I think we need to realise as well because, you know, what the fans will scoff and go at, you know, they're talking about Mbappe as a thing, like it's a delusion. It's not. We've just won the European Cup and the European Cup's massive in this, I think, and that when you when you you're acting the part, you've often got to look the part as well. And I think, you know, us winning that trophy, having that parade, 750,000 people on the streets, is a thing that every football in the world will look at and go, yeah, go ahead, I'll have a go at that. I'll have loads of that. I think the the timing of it is what interests me because, like I say, I'm, 
I'm right on board with it being a, a feasible thing to to happen. But I think there's there's things Liverpool have got to put in place with it as well. You know, Liverpool are going to have to, in many ways, restructure their whole structure, if you like, in terms of how they manage the squad, in terms of wages, in terms of people's ages. And it might be that you know it takes six months for something like this to get into the players' heads. Listen, he's, he's coming in, you know, he's coming in, he's on bigger money than everyone, and he's going to be a first team regular. So maybe maybe then that someone Salah, for me, you know, Mane, whoever, is thinking, well, all right, I'm, I maybe need to plot my next move away from this. It'd be ballsy, but we've seen, you know, we often make the, we often make the, the Ferguson comparative here. We've seen Ferguson rip a team up the year after it's it's done something really, really good because he knows it needs something big to change it and, and you know, evolve it further. So why not? How much do you think it takes to buy him? So I think, I, think, I think you're looking at... I, I I think you're looking at over you're looking at, at least over what they paid for him. They paid 160 million, I think. I think you're looking at over that. I don't think you're looking at that much over that. I think I think it gets to the sort of point where if he wants to go, like I'll be really interested to see how much Neymar ends up going for. And I think that that's almost going to be a bit of a market. They, they'd sell him it. for less than he bought him for. The, right the, now, yeah. the, the chairman has, has essentially come out and fronted him, saying that they've had enough of his behaviour and stuff. I think the issue is that it would be dead easy for them to sell Mbappe because loads of teams would pay them pretty much whatever they wanted whereas it's dead hard to sell Neymar because for even half the price they paid loads would probably turn the nose up at him like I don't think we'd pay 100 million quid for Neymar for example but I reckon Real Madrid would pay 300 million right now for Mbappe do you see me do you see my point I think they want to keep Mbappe more obviously but it's easier to sell Mbappe than to sell Neymar He's, he's frighteningly good. That's the other thing we all need to remember. Like that, that World Cup performance against Argentina is genuinely one of the best World Cup performances in the last twenty years, if not longer. Um, so he's worth every penny. It depends on him as well. You know, there's a. I think I think Liverpool are in a bit of a crux at the minute. Where I wouldn't say a crux, but I think they're in a bit of a position where there will be players they want, but there will be other sides who have got good resources who need those players that Liverpool might want. So you know, the example of take. Delith, for example, Liverpool might want Delith, but they might only want him on 120 grand a week, whereas someone like Barcelona or United are willing to offer him 275, 300 a week. So a lot of this comes down to the player himself, you know, because they could be, if, if it's a thing, Liverpool might be might be playing the percentages a little bit and saying, well, we'll try and make it a thing over 12 months, but in that 12 months, Madrid might come up and go, well, we'll give you 500 grand a week to come to us, which Liverpool won't do, I don't think. They won't, but then that comes down to kind of how we started this, which is you know, if you're Mbappe, you know, do you see yourself as, as an earner from a football club or do you see yourself as someone who could potentially, you know, be much, much more than that? And 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 that's, I think that's the conversations that they'll be having with him is that, you know, look at LeBron James, they gave him some of their business because they wanted to associate with him. And I'm not saying they're going to they're gonna give LeBron, uh, this, sorry, Mbappe a, a chunk of FSG because there's, there's probably FFP connotations to that. <laughs> but I think, you know, they, they can be saying to them, well, look, you know, don't, you know, don't think small. Don't think, you know, it's not like, you know, going to your boss asking for a pay rise, is it? It's, it's, it's thinking like, you know, world star stuff, as Neil says. It's thinking, well, how can I become... You know, how can I become the business? Forget about Liverpool Football Club. They're just where I play football on a Saturday. Yeah. I'm the business. You know, Mbappe is the business. Mbappe is going to be as big as Nike. You know, if I'm going to be bigger than Liverpool, you know what I mean? No one's bigger than the club, of course. But in terms of, like, you know, in terms of reach, in terms of kind of what they can do, in terms of, like, profile, and I think that's that's sort of how you sell it to them. And then I think I think being able to, you know, the, the, the links they've got with kind of, you know, sports bands in America, the links they've got kind of, you know, worldwide, what 
what they're able to, to sell to them, as Neil says, in terms of stories, in terms of Salah, I think is real and I think is there. And I think I we're think really good for footballers. I think I think there's that. And it, but also what's dead interesting, Dan, is where you started, where you said he's a good lad. In that I think he comes across as intelligent and with a personality. Mm-hmm. And I think that that, you know, in this context, this isn't a sort of a, I'm trying to think of a footballer without being rude about him who never really, like, was magnetic in that sense. I'm trying to think of a good example. Tevez. Tevez was a really good player, but he was never, you know, he never really came across, and and he didn't want to, you know, English wasn't his first yeah. language and all that, and quite private. Aguero now, I know, like I, I in in a metaphorical sense, I couldn't pick Aguero out of a lineup. You know what I mean? I don't know, I don't know if he's got jokes or not. Whatever yeah, yeah. that Daniel Sturridge has, mm-hmm. and it's not just because one played for Liverpool and the other one didn't. You know, I know you get the impression Wilfred Zaha is a good pint. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there's there's, and I think that that's one of the things about Mbappe is that that personality does actually exist. It is already present. Yeah, uh, he seems like he's really intelligent, um, and that then makes me think that he's, he's he's talking about Liverpool consistently over the past sort of week or so, and there must be a point to that. Um, and Hashtag that be, Mbappe that, 2020. That could be in different ways. That could be that could partly be that he is really clever and his team is really clever, and they think that they can go to Real Madrid next year. So he talks about Liverpool now as a way of saying, "Well, I've got other options. I really like them, and I'm sure they really like me as well." And it's a way of getting more money out of someone else, possibly. Or it might just be that he genuinely appreciates what Liverpool have done in a way that other 20-year-old footballers that could go pretty much anywhere they wanted might not. Um, it's important to remember as well that he's already sort of won the main thing in the game um, and not just and won, it. won it as, as he the was, winner. He was the best player in the tournament. He didn't get that award because they gave it to Modric so that they could give him the young player rather than giving him both because we have weird <laughs> politics around that but he knows and everyone else knows that he was actually the most important player in that World Cup that won it for France he's, he's the hero of every kid that watched that team play so in a sense he's, he's got a lot more freedom now and pressure off him because he's already done the thing that, that 70 million people rely on him to do um, and as much as, as, as coming and playing for Liverpool or even going to somewhere like Real Madrid there are millions of people around the globe that want you to do something it's less pressing I think because it's not concentrated in one period of time and you can only do it once every four years and you've got to rely on this fella who only coaches you like 10% of the time and a lot of footballers that you don't actually train with on a regular basis so I think it makes his career easier from now on in that he's not got the messy thing like Messi's had throughout the whole time of I really want to win the World Cup and I've got to plan an awful lot around that and it's devastating when I don't and and that one last year was probably his last realistic shot at doing that. And I think you could see across the beginning of the season how much it, it shot him a bit. The, and he retired from Argentina, didn't he, in a bit of a hissy fit. The fact that Mbappe's already done that, I think, means that his club career becomes easier because his international career means a bit less. I'm sure he wants to win the World Cup again, don't get me wrong, in the Euros as well. But he's already accomplished the main thing that he can with the national team. And that means then that his... Full priority, I think, is on winning as many European Cups as he can. And possibly going and winning different league titles as well. I think we've seen a bit of that with Ronaldo in that he did Portugal, obviously, at first. Then it's done England, then Spain, then Italy. I could imagine if he gets to 35, 36 and Bayern Munich are willing to give him a contract. He goes and does that because it's another title or PSG or whoever. There might be something in that in him where he thinks, you know what, I will leave PSG for Liverpool and I'll do three years and I'll win a league and then I'll go and do Real Madrid, and then I'll go and do someone else. And he has this sort of world-conquering effect, because if we're talking about the brand thing as well, literally going around Europe and winning everything is absolutely huge for that. And then you can become Michael Jordan, where where footy kits have got your logo on them rather than Nike's logo or whatever. And and I think that 
whatever their plan is, they know it already. And therefore, there's a reason he's talking about Liverpool. We won't find out what it is until maybe 2020. even... 2020 or maybe <laughs> even five or six years down the line, we won't find out why he's been talking about Liverpool. But there is a reason. Fuck it. I mean, I've just retweeted it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's no greater endorsement. Hashtag Mbappe2020. Uh, coming to a Twitter account near you and push it as much as you can. Let's see if we can will this one over the line. In a minute, you've got Anders Borg. After that, you've got Simon Edwards talking about the Copa America. Then we'll be back having a chat about Rafa Camacho. What are them in it? And it is John Gibbons for the weekender, and I'm now joined by Anders Borg, um, who's going to talk to us about the uh, the Williams BMW International Tennis Tournaments that is taking place this weekend. It's at Liverpool Cricket Club in Egberth. And I mean, first of all, Anders, it's the 18th year of this tournament. So, I mean, congratulations for, for keeping it going this long and growing it to what it is today. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, we all started up back in 2002 at uh, at Stones Park, and uh, we've had some uh, amazing players uh, coming to Liverpool over the years, preparing for Wimbledon. We've had Novak Djokovic, who became who is number one in the world. Um, John McEnroe has been here. Martina Navratilova, Marat Safin. The list is long and distinguished. And uh, and this year we have. Uh, an 18-year-old kid from Taiwan. He's ranked as number one in the world as as a junior, and we expect him to be to be one for the future. Yeah, so he'll be one in 10 years' time that people can say I saw him, you know, in Liverpool playing. I, I gather he's the he's the reigning Wimbledon junior champion as well. Yes, he he's won the won Wimbledon and and the French Open. And as you said, yeah, you saw him first in Liverpool, <laughs> just like everyone saw Novak Djokovic first here when no one had heard about him. And the same uh, the same also was the situation for the Danish Caroline Wisniewski, who was here for, for, for three years. Yeah, so uh, I mean, that, it's, a, it's, it's a wide range of, of players, isn't it? And, you, you know, you mentioned the youngsters, it's Jason Tseng there, who's, uh, as you say, just 18. There's a young British player called Adam Jones as well, who I know there's, there's high hopes for. He's just 19. Um, but then there's obviously the legends who are, who are playing as well. Uh, Mansour Bavami, who, who lights up the tournament every year, doesn't he, in terms of his, his showmanship and his play. And he's going to be a lot of fun to watch this weekend. Yes, absolutely. He's like the Harlem Globetrotter of, of, of tennis. <laughs> so it's a combination. The event out or the day out is a combination of the legends. It's the combination of, of the up-and-coming players. And indeed, we're giving local players a chance to play on, a, on, a, on the big stage. And, and this is something what, what we're all about, sort of to encouraging locals to, to pick up tennis and to work on their tennis to to become a better player and and um, it's not that often they get a chance to play in front of a, a large crowd and against you know like Adam he can play he will play against the world number one junior and who knows on grass I think anything can happen on a, any given day anything can happen in tennis it's a fantastic, fantastic setup there at, at the cricket club isn't it I went a couple of years ago and went down and you know there's there's a there's a tent for sort of co- corporate hospitality if people want to kind of enjoy themselves, but obviously the you know the, there's the, the ordinary stands for kind of people there as well. It's a, it's a lovely spot. It's a lovely part of the city, and if the sun is shining, which we all hope it will, it, it is a fantastic day out. Yes, and and it it offers a, a little bit of everything. So it, it's something for the kids, it's something for the general public, it's something for the corporates, and it's something for for the sponsors. So on any given day, I think we have a fantastic pro- program. And and to watch tennis live, as uh, as opposed to watch it on television, it's like a night and day experience. 
and and obviously grass being the fastest surface yeah. is it's, it's very enjoyable to watch yeah, I mean, that's what kind of surprised me when I first watched Tennis Live is just how quick it is. And you can see it on the telly and you can see these, you know, serve speeds and you can see the speedometer and, and you think, well, that that is fast. But until you see it in real life, which to be fair, we don't get the opportunity to do very much in Liverpool to see sort of top quality tennis players. When you see it in real life and you see how fast it is and you wonder how on earth are they getting these serves back? Yeah, no, it, it is amazing. And um, as you said, we are, I, think, I think we're the only... Only event in Liverpool or in the region offering offering top class tennis. Uh, obviously, there are options down south to go to Queens and to go to Wimbledon, but they're they're very expensive and and hard to get tickets. Our ticket starts at ten pounds and um, and is hopefully affordable to to anyone interested in sport. Um, you've got the two champions from last year coming back, uh, two Italian players, isn't it? Uh, Giannesi and Dentoni, who won it last year, coming back this year to to kind of defend defend their crown, which must be quite nice for you as well, the, the fact that, you know, the players obviously enjoy playing here because they do keep coming back. Yeah, they love coming to Liverpool. It, it's not only the, the, the grass court tennis that we have, we have on offer, but it's the social element of, of Liverpool as well. And because we are an exhibition event, uh, we, we make sure that the players are taken care of when when they're not on court. So we take them out to different restaurants in Liverpool. Uh, this year we're going to the official dining room in uh, in, in Man Island, which is a brand new restaurant at a, at a great location. And we're also going to Almalia, the famous uh, Italian Pizzeria. Yeah, so you, you 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 look after the players, and, and that's and that's why they, they kind of keep coming to you, and 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 also the, the you know the audience keeps coming back for you as well. You mentioned well, we meant both mentioned that the fact that it's eighteen years now, and a tournament wouldn't survive that long if people didn't enjoy it and people didn't keep coming back. And you know, it is it is as you mentioned, a good day out for anyone. Yes, and and obviously the, these kind of events wouldn't happen without without sponsor uh, sponsorship and partnership with the uh, with the uh, with uh, the private sector. We we stand a, a big uh, thank you to to Williams Liverpool who have been uh, 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 our title sponsor now for the last two years and long may it continue. In addition to all our presenting sponsors and uh, and we have a great combination of. Of local brands such as MSP solicitors and and uh, Mercy Rail, and then we go all the way up to the the global brands such as Uber, Hilton, and Air Lingus and KPMG, just to mention a few. We've got to give a shout out to the uh, Skupski brothers as well because I know the Liverpool fans. I know they listen to the Anfield rap and. As doubles players, they're, they're about as good as it gets in this country, aren't they? They obviously always support this tournament, but they'll be at Wimbledon. People will be able to watch them on the telly there. And But they're, but they're in Liverpool. You can see them live this weekend. Yes, we are, we are hoping they will be available. It depends a little bit how they how far they go into the Queen's event. But, okay. but they are... They are a, a fantastic uh, doubles pairing with with huge potential. Now I think the yo- younger one is going to start playing with Andy Murray's brother going forward. So it is very exciting. And then they come from Allerton. They they they're born and bred Liverpool. And and the amazing thing is that they both support Arsenal, <laughs> which I do. I do. Sorry, I support Arsenal. They support Liverpool. I know the scouts because I know they listen jealous. to the I'm just jealous. I don't know how they do it or how they did it, but I am 
very jealous as a, as a, as a true Arsenal supporter. <laughs> <laughs> so tickets are still available. People can come down on, on all the days, I do believe, and get involved. And as you say, it's a range of prices. You know, if you want a, 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 you know, a corporate day out or, or a kind of a posh day out, you can do that. But, but also tickets available from, from just the tenor and you've got concessions and all that as well. Yes, the box office is opening up at 10 o'clock every day. Uh, our website is liverpooltennis.co.uk for, for, for any further information. Anders, I know you're hugely busy pulling all this together, so thanks a lot for joining us on the phone. And hopefully I'll see you over the weekend and hopefully you have a big smile on your face because the tennis has been great and the uh, tournament's going well. Thank you so much. Looking forward to see you. Thanks for listening to the Anfield Wrap. Uh, we are moving our price point. Uh, you currently don't subscribe, but we like you to think about it into the year, the season to come. Uh, the video stuff, all the free video stuff we did for the whole of last season is going behind the paywall. Uh, so if you've been watching that and you want to consider that, that'll be available at £7 for all video, uh, plus the free audio, uh, or £7 for all audio, or £10 for both. Uh, it's an exciting season and it's an exciting prospect. It's exciting for the Anfield Wrap as well. We're constantly looking to innovate and find new ways to do fantastic content for all of our listeners. That includes the free listeners, but also those who are behind the paywall, obviously. That's where we want to try and do some really, really good work and get things ticking over for you. If you've been thinking about subscribing, now's a great time. Also, do feel free to download our app and see things through there as well. It is the Anfield Wrap. I am Neil Atkinson. Thank you so much for listening. As a free listener, uh, it is always appreciated. Thank you very much for taking the time indeed. Uh, we are moving forward with the Anfield wrap into 2019-2020. Let's hope that Liverpool are doing exactly the same. I've got no shadow of a doubt that they are. I'm joined by Simon Edwards uh, from the World Football Index, who's covering the Copper America. He specialises in Colombia, but he understands the whole continent. That's the way this works. But let's actually start with Colombia, who, in a very competitive Group B, Simon, find themselves topping it with six points. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's a little bit less competitive than it would seem on paper, but we can talk about Argentina in a minute. The rubbish uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but But so far, so good. Um, the, the Qatar game was much harder than the Argentina game. Qatar are a very organised team. We'll, we can mention them in a second. But Colombia looking very good. Um, it's a different look, Colombia. You know, Quiroz has got the team playing far more compact, far more high energy. Traditionally, we've seen Colombia in a 4-2-3-1, wingers out wide, Cuadrado one side, another wing on the other side, one striker. But they're now really looking to focus on a high press, having a lot of high energy in the midfield. A guy who's been the player of the tournament for me has been Wilma Barrios, yeah. a guy who was linked with Everton actually a, couple, a, year ago, a year or so ago. Incredibly good. One of the best ball winners I've seen. He was in... He had Messi in his pocket all game um, and very controlled on the ball. He's been really, really important. And Jerry Mina as well. This isn't the Jerry Mina of Everton. This is Jerry Mina of Colombia, who looks so composed. Um, you know, I don't think he's had such a great start in the Premier League, but for Colombia, he's always good alongside Davison Sanchez. So Colombia, not perfect. They struggled yesterday, just about snuck a 1-0 win, but they did have a lot of chances. Um, but it's a Colombia that's looking a little bit different and Quiroz has made a big impression in a month or so and uh, Duvan Zapata up front is banging them in and uh, yeah, so far so good for Colombia. Just on this on this idea that it, it's it, it's quite a significant change of shape, there's a fair bit of traditionalism, isn't there, in a, a few of these sides in terms of how they want to approach games and all of this sort of stuff. This is a bit of a profound move for Colombia when you talk about it being higher tempo, when you talk about it being more aggressive. Yeah, it is. Um, I think, I mean, Peckerman got Colombia's two World Cups after, you know, a decade being out of it. So people are, are willing and happy to see someone be a bit more assertive, particularly how Colombia ended against England. They didn't play. They they were very, 
reactionary and that isn't what Colombian football should be it's uh, in Colombia it's all about short, short passing you know high tempo and, and Colombia were very reactionary against England you can also say going back to 2014 they were a bit flat against Brazil so people are very respectful and re- appreciative of Peckerman's contribution but people are happy to see Colombia go on the front foot and try and impose themselves and in the in the first two games they've been the protagonists they've been dominant in in both the games spells against Argentina when they they were on top but it's a it always felt that Colombia were defining how that game was playing out. And uh, it's, a, it's a positive step. I think they've got the athleticism. They've got the players. They've got the mentality to, to be more assertive. And uh, so far, so good. On the... You mentioned uh, Qatar being well-organised. Is this... Uh, it's a bit, uh, We can get into the ins and outs of Qatar. There's lots of talk at the moment. There's rumours circulating not a great deal. But it, it is worth pointing out, isn't it, how significant this tournament is for Qatar with one eye on 2022. In a, in a really strange sense, it's almost it's it's arguably as important for them as it as it is for a lot of the the, the big players in in South America who fancy themselves. You know, it's really important that they get that tournament experience here. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, and they're equip- equipping themselves quite well. Obviously, playing against all the South American teams in preparation for World Cup is incredible incredible opportunity for them. They're also playing the next Copa America, which is next year in Argentina and Colombia, which makes no sense. It's like, it's like 10 hour flight away. It's madness, but South America for you. Um, but in terms of on the field, they're the most organized team of this Copa America by quite a long way. Um, athletic, they make the right decisions. They win the tactical fouls. They, you know, they do all of the little tiny bits that can build up to something fairly significant. They were definitely deserving of, uh, of the draw against Paraguay. Um, Again, they, they look like a decent team. Against Colombia, far more defensive, didn't really pose much of a threat in an attack. But it's a team that's limited but makes the most of the qualities they have. So they're actually not too bad. I'm not I'm not massively surprised they won the Asian Cup. Um, but uh, I would be surprised if they went much further than the group stage. But they, they may well get out of the group stage. They'll create some problems for Argentina, I think. Um, we'll come on to Argentina last when we'll work through Group B. The other side's Paraguay and... It's it's striking to me uh, the difference Almiron makes and the the quality that he has. I think it's I think that we got to see it a little bit in uh, in, in English football last season uh, in the second half of the season where I think he made a massive difference. That Newcastle side helped everyone play a little bit more, thinking about Perez and Rondon. But he's he's seeing them in how important he is to to Paraguay and also just how how unbelievably effective and rapid over the ground he is. Yeah, he he does everything. He turns them from a, I mean, without Almiron, they would be a side that could defend a game and, and stay in a game, but they wouldn't really pose much of a threat. He's the guy who converts. Uh, for example, yesterday they were they were defending quite a lot, but they had as many chances as Argentina did, probably more, more likely to win. And a lot of that came from Almiron picking the ball up deep, transitioning to attack, running with the ball fifty yards. He also puts in a great shift defensively, gets everyone around him energised. Yeah. You see Almiron pressing four players. You can't really stand off and, and, and wait. You know, you, you're going to go with him. So, yeah, he's hugely important, he's, I think. Sam, he strikes me as the, he's the sort of perfect international side's best player, if you see what I mean. Because mm. what you just said there is, you know, it isn't the idea that he's waiting for service. He he wants to force the game a lot of the time, I think, and, he, and he's, he's happy to work. And what that means is that if your best player's work, and then everyone's got to work. Yeah, I think I think there would have been a temptation yesterday, for example, to stick him up front. You know, there's yeah. uh, Argentina's defense is, is shaky. They play a high line. They, you know, they, they look terrible. 
and Paraguay played him in midfield because he does so much. They struggle because their striker is a big lump, uh, Santander, who looks like a League One striker. And he wasn't really giving them the pace, you know, holding the ball up well enough, but wasn't giving them the pace to get beyond. So it was a little bit of a shame, but you just can't take Almiron out of the midfield because he does everything. He's, he's running 50 yards to win a tackle back, back towards his own goal and then gets it and turns defence to attack in, in a couple of seconds. So, yeah, he's a, a very important player. And as you say, he does set the tone for, for so much for Paraguay. Uh, last little thing, uh, Paraguay were unlucky not to knock Argentina out. Uh, Messi said it'd be crazy if they exited the competition so early from the group stages. But it's striking that this this Argentina Argentina side every single every single time you think you've seen it be as as abject as it can be, it manages to take another step backwards, and that's what that's what you're seeing in this tournament. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Scaloni is is baffling to be honest. Um, the decisions from the coach are very strange. I mean, what Argentina really need is leadership. It's hard to know what kind of leadership they need because they've kind of tried everything at this point. They've tried a disciplinarian, they've tried a foreigner, they've tried, you know, you, you name the type of manager, they've given it a go. Um, it, it's difficult because they are Messi dependent, Messi does everything. But for example, yesterday they started with Messi playing higher up the field, which makes sense. You want him to impact in the final third, but then he doesn't touch the ball. You know, it's the build-up play that is the issue. They can't get it forward. There's good players who look terrible. You know, right now, people always put Argentina amongst the favourites, but Argentina aren't amongst the best teams in South America right now. For all the talent they have in theory, you watch them play and it's 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 bad. They're just not very good. I think Paraguay, for me, it was disappointing that they started to sit back and defend the, the, the point they had in the last 10 minutes. Because if they attack... This is always the case with Argentina. If you attack Argentina, you'll score. The most, the, the best form of defence Argentina have is the blue and white stripes and the number 10 and Messi written on the back of the shirt. Because if, if they were wearing Bolivia kits, teams would rip them to shreds and, and beat them comfortably because they're that poor mm. defensively and the system doesn't really work. You know, So it's, the name Argentina is, is the strongest thing Argentina have at the moment. To go to Group A, and we'll talk about who we think is going to progress in a minute. I've done all of them. To go to Group A, it's interesting to me that Brazil, you know, we talked about Argentina there, but even Brazil are now on a little bit of a mini precipice. Peru are a good side. They've got them last game. And they've, they've, they, you know, they've not conceded a goal yet, Brazil, but, you know, a nil-nil draw against Venezuela. Uh, beating Bolivia 3-0, like you said before, they are the whipping boys of that group. You'd expect Venezuela, for instance, to beat Bolivia, which would give them five points. So Brazil find themselves a little bit here. You know they're, they're sitting on four points now, and they could very much do with at least getting a draw against Peru in the last game. Yeah, I think um, with the the two best third place teams qualifying, I think it does mean that Brazil are probably okay anyway. Um, but of course, this is this is not ideal for Brazil to to be looking at looking around them and, and seeing if uh, they're going to squeak through or not. Um, there's a lot of expectations on Brazil. The home crowd. Are incredibly demanding. It depends which part of Brazil, more so in Sao Paulo than up in the the north of Brazil. Um, but uh, yeah, Brazil are struggling. I mean, even the three 0 win against Bolivia, which seems routine, they did rely on a, a VAR assisted penalty decision, and up until that point, they didn't really look like they were going to score for all of the good things that they were doing deeper in the game and out wide. And Artur is is a game changer for them. It's, it's strange because. Brazil were much better against Venezuela than they were against Bolivia. Um, and they won 3-0 against Bolivia. And they, they, they had one good effort on goal. A couple of VAR decisions, obviously, uh, against Venezuela. Yeah. 
So this is a Brazil side that does a lot of nice things and they pass the ball well. And I say Arthur di- directs everything out wide. They've got some pace. But for all of the good play that they do, it does seem to end with a clipped deep cross into the box towards <laughs> Firmino and Jesus. And it's not going to happen against a team packing their penalty box. So we'll see. They'll play teams to open up more and maybe that will give them more of an opportunity. The the best player for Brazil so far has been Artur and then Everton as well. Uh, a player from still playing in the Brazilian league, 23-year-old, very quick. But uh, yeah, Brazil, unconvincing, doing some nice things. But when it comes down to it, they're not creating the chances. Um Peru, on the other hand, just look very attractive. I mean, the kit always helps, but there is a <laughs> there is a thing with this Peruvian side that when when it's got room to play, and maybe sides do open up a little bit more against Peru than they do against Brazil. But they, to me, they the way they work spaces is just really really interesting. I mean, you know, in a, in a tactical sense, there are very few surprises left in world football, but Peru always seem capable of, of springing one or two. Yeah, they're they're playing a slightly different system as well. Um, I mean, it's still the oh. same four two three one, but the, the wingers are, are more inverted. It's Farfan, who's kind of more of a striker. Cueva is often playing from the left as well. And again, he's a traditional playmaker. So they are tucking in more. Avanculo from right back is... I think he's the kind of fullback that, you know, Americans, you know, you hear the United States. If everyone in the United States played soccer, we'd be the best team in the world. I think what they're thinking is Avanculo because he's six foot tall. He's the fastest player on the pitch. He's very strong. Uh, his place has a big impact for Peru. I think they've they've got a good solid system. Obviously, Guerrero up front is good. Um, they, as you say, they can pass the ball about a little bit, uh, and they they move it quite nicely. I think there are still some questions. I, it'll be very interesting. I, I don't know who's better, Peru or Venezuela. That's a, that's an interesting question. Um, that was an interesting game. Um, but, but yeah, I think Peru are going in the right direction. Um, they're the probably least changed side in the in the Copa America. They've same coach, same players. Yeah, slight adaption to the system, but they'll be there or thereabouts in this tournament. I think. Um, last little bit is obviously moving to Group C. Group C is uh, Chile, Uruguay, Ecuador, and Japan. Now these only played one game so far. Everyone else has played two. Uh, it looks as though it. You'd expect um, it, it may be too much for Ecuador to get out of that group. Uh, the other three, though, will still all fancy themselves, even though even though uh, Japan lost the first game. Yeah, I think Uruguay, for me, are the clear favourites in this group. I think they're the best team. I think they're the best team in the tournament. I think perhaps alongside Colombia at the moment. Brazil in the mix as well. But for me, Uruguay, the, the best team. Godin organising an experienced defence. Suarez and Cavani up top. Some good young midfielders. And a coach who's been with the side throughout the process. So for me, Uruguay are the most complete of the South American teams. Chile, four and a win, but uh, they weren't very good. It, it depends. <laughs> like, <laughs> sounds a bit harsh. But Japan is an is a youth team. They're all twenty one years old. Oh, They're are they? Very talented. Realize. Yeah. So they've got Kubo, who's this eighteen year old who's just joined Real Madrid. Uh, they've got Shoya, who's a very interesting playmaker. But these are all kids. So this Japan created more chances than Chile, played the most attractive football, but they're all children. And Chile played a little bit like a veterans team. So it was a bit of an interesting mix. It was like over 30s against under 20s, this game. Um, Chile have the experience, have the competition experience. They've won the last two Copa Americas, but they're all aging together. It's Bolsa Jaw, 35-year-old at fullback. The team is getting on Isla, an experienced player at the fullback. You know, this is a Chile kind of coming to what looks like a big drop potentially. 
Got the result. Alexis Sanchez was better, although not perfect, not peak Alexis Sanchez, but they're looking better. But we'll see. Ecuador were awful. They've got a manager who's bolijo, the, the bat, is just a, a disciplinarian with, with very few ideas. Took Panama to the World Cup. But Ecuador are strong and they're quick. And they're going to play against Japan, who are very inexperienced and young. And Chile, who are experienced and, and, and seasoned, but looking a bit leggy. So I wouldn't completely rule out Ecuador for as awful as they were in the first game. They have the the characteristics to hurt both of these sides and maybe sneak through as well. But for me, Chile did the job and did very well. But I think this is the beginning of the end for this Chilean generation. Um. On there, you mentioned before you think that Uruguay are the strongest side. I mean, they've got they've got this young Japan side next, uh, and they'll go from there. There, there is, there is. Uh, I, I had someone who had a, a, a lovely one-liner. Uh, I was reading about the tournament who said that it's a tournament where it doesn't have any sort of clear best team, which therefore means Uruguay will win it. There is, a, there's a thing there, isn't there, with that Uruguay side? Firstly, they've got a lot of experience. The best players have all got a lot of experience, but none of them are past it in an old school sort of sense. They are probably the team to watch. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. And and with this Uruguayan side, the the process the last few three or four years has been incorporating some of these really good U20 players into the mix, Valverde and Vecino, and they've got a lot of quality coming through. So it's an interesting process. There was always questions about these really good, talented passing midfielders are coming in. Will that take away some of the Uruguayan grit and will it compromise what's been good? Because before these midfielders came in, they had a really good defence and really good strikers and everyone in between kind of just filled in the gaps and, and tried to keep things ticking over and put some pressure on and lump it forward for Suarez and Cavani. But they're better than that now. And uh, if these think if these two ideas, these, these young, talented players can come in and, and continue to do their job in the midfield and make Uruguay a more complete side against Ecuador, they won, they won very convincingly, but they could have got quite a few more, to be honest. It kind of, they scored and then they sat back and started defending and it kind of felt that they were giving Godin a go at doing some defending before they went and got scored a load more. Um, yeah, they definitely look like, for me, the most complete side in the tournament. Um, I think up there with Colombia at the moment, the way things are going, but uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see indeed. Simon, we'll get you back on to talk further about the tournament as it develops across the next few weeks. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, and people can find you right in the World Football Index. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks very much for the invitation on Twitter as well, at Simon Edwards, SAF, any questions. But yeah, thanks for the invitation. No problem at all. I will get you back over to the rest of the show. It's John Gibbons here with your Reds Best Specials for the weekend. I'm joined by Dan Morgan. Um, we'll talk a bit, a bit about some Liverpool specials in a minute, Dan. But um, what sport are you watching at the moment? What are you getting into? I've got bang into the Cricket World Cup, John. That's good to know, good to know. Do you, do you want to know me hot take? Go on. Bangladesh had a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Bangladesh had a, had a good laugh. So well, well, Reds bet have got Bangladesh at 66-1 to 1 to win the tournament. I don't think they're going to win it, but uh, but I'm into seeing them as much as you can at the minute. I'm, um, I, I'm, I'm a converted Bangladeshi. Okay, well, you can see them on Monday. Uh, they play in Afghanistan on Monday, 24th of June. They're 1-5 to five on to win that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Af- Afghanistan... Um, I've only won one game in a World Cup, but it was against Scotland four years ago. So, um, but they did all right against England, I thought. Like, yeah, they did. They did, themselves. they did all right. I mean, England's at another case. Who to me, they look really strong as a favourite. They bat them really well. I just don't know whether there's a correlation with England's other sports and England football. 
which means they'll probably just bow out of the semi-final. <laughs> well, they've, they've, um, the top of the group, Andy, they're 7-4, to four, yeah. as you say, favourites to win the tournament at the moment, 7-4. to four. India are 2-1, to one, who look good for, to me in the, in the game I watched against Pakistan. Um, and then Australia are 11-4. to four. Then there's a big jump to New Zealand, 6-1. to one, And then a massive jump to Pakistan, 6-6-1. to six to one. So I think they're basically saying them top four are going to qualify for the semi-finals. Australia, to me, look like the team who most know how to find a way um if i'm trying to you know i've only got football really as a reference point for cricket now because i'm because <laughs> i'm only just getting into it apart from wrecking my dad's head and texting him every two minutes asking him about outside edges and stuff like that <laughs> what's uh, the snick on it <laughs> honestly honestly he's, he's absolutely impacted me um but yeah australia just look like the team who grinds and finds a way to it in terms of getting over the line so I'd, uh, I've seen. I think. I think India. They look like they've had the rhythm disrupted a bit because obviously the Pakistan game was off on, off on, off on with the weather. Yeah. Um, whether you know they're good enough to ride that or what, I don't know. But it's, I'm really into it. Bang into it. Yeah. Oh, good. Um, so yeah, Reds better do a loads of betting on the Cricket World Cup. Obviously, the other tournaments that are going on at the moment as well. The Women's World Cup, the Copa America, the Under Twenty One Championship, Africa Combinations coming up as well. Uh, they do bet on all of those. So do have a little look at Reds Bet. If you do gamble, they give fifty percent of their profits and your losses to fan-related causes. Um, obviously this is only if you gamble if you don't gamble then that is fine uh, carry on with that but if you do gamble then maybe consider uh, spending any money with Reds Bet but as always do gamble away and this information online uh, if you need any help with that they've also got a few Liverpool specials uh, only four at the moment I was hoping for some uh, Mbappe 2020 uh, bets but uh, the, the boys haven't got on it yet not up with the curve like that, <laughs> So there's no way I'm happy 2020. Uh, 2020, that's it. <laughs> I've lost my head. Um, it's all this talk. But what they have got is, I'll do you four. All right. Four bets that they've got, and then you can say which one which, right. which one gets the Dan Morgan seal of approval, if you like. So Liverpool to win the FA Cup next season is 7-1. to one. Liverpool to win the Premier League next season is 11-4. to four. Virgil van Dijk to win the Ballon d'Or is 6-4. to four. Or Liverpool to go unbeaten in the Premier League next season is 40-1. to one. FA Cup FA Cup you going for yeah. sevens yeah sevens is a good price I think and I just think we'd, we'd do a few good draws in the yeah. FA Cup um, if um, I think if there's a couple there that if you if you want to lump on you know if you want to just get a bit of a return for then you do you know your Van Dijk one mm. um, the league this is just the city thing isn't yeah. it that, that is, is always going to be there until we're not what was the other one uh, unbeaten in the Premier League next season, forty to one. I'm I'm quite all right with us getting beat early okay. next season, just to get it out the way. Yeah, you know, just to maybe even at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just sort that, and then we can go unbeaten again from there. I just think the longer it goes on, it'll be another thing of RD, 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 RD. So uh, the FA Cup is one I'd I'd get on, and, and it's one I'd take as well, John. I wouldn't mind an FA Cup next no, be season. Great. Yeah, I just think we want to win trophies every season. Now. Yeah, I'd be made up with it. Uh, FA Cup would be brilliant. Um, I don't think I've seen us win at the new Wembley. Uh, I wasn't at the, the Kenny one, 2011. So uh, I don't think I've seen us win at the new. Well, it's always been Everson. Ah, that was brilliant. Uh, thanks for reminding me of that. Me. <laughs> um, yeah, as I said, on Rad's bet they've got those Liverpool specials there, but they've got uh, betting on all the all the su- summer tournaments going on. Uh, Egypt favourites for the Africa Cup of Nations uh, with Mo Salah. If you were interested, but uh, yeah, that's Red's bet specials. Redsbet.com. Do gamble away. Uh, back to Neil in the studio. Welcome back. It is the weekend of the Atkinson, Dan Morgan, Dan Austin, John Gibbons uh, talking about Liverpool's the likelihood of Liverpool's outgoings around the under twenty threes, under eighteens. John, I did a thing with Lazio Lounge, really enjoyed it. Great people. Uh yeah. where I talked about Bobby Adding Canway, mm-hmm. um, who 
I've never seen Kiki, uh, and I was quite open and honest with them about that fact. Uh, but it was a wider conversation, and one of the interesting things is that Bobby had himself decided, going back months, he wasn't going to sign another contract with Liverpool. Rafa Camacho was at his ins and outs, I think, this season, and he's stating publicly that he's, you know, I think it's likely that he's got one year left, and there's every chance that Liverpool move him on this summer. One of the things about Liverpool now being at the level that they're at is that there's room for very few projects, and the projects that there are room for have to be extra, extra, extra special. And there's a chance, isn't it, there will be a little bit of a mini exodus from the under-23s or under-18s this summer of a certain type of player. Yeah, I mean, those two players are in sort of different situations. Um, I mean, Bobby Adekandi was was unlucky in that he got a lot of injuries when he came, but also where he was fit he was generally on the bench and I think he's just been honest with himself and thought well if I can't get in the under 23s team then whatever a chance I've ever got getting into the, the full team so he's gone to Lazio it's a nice move for him and, and see how he does Camacho's a different one in that they tried to make him a project and he sort of refused effectively he sort of knocked project status yeah, back yeah he just wants to score goals uh, which is fair enough um, and if that's what he wants to do then I'm a bit surprised because you'd have thought he'd had a look at the Trent thing and thought well that, that looks good He's just won the Champions League, but he's he just doesn't fancy it. He doesn't want to play any deeper. He wants to play from free, and he wants to, and he thinks that's his best chance of being a professional footballer. So, so that's kind of what's happened there. So it's a shame for Camacho. What's well, a shame for Liverpool that that will lose, and really because I think he is a talented player, and I think he'll go on to be an international. To be honest with you, but I think um, you know if you can't, you know if you, if you've got a plan for someone and they don't want to do it, then and they don't want to sign a new contract, then then this is the kind of the situation. That we're in, but but generally speaking, you're right in that. You know, it's always tough to make it as a professional footballer for Liverpool. It's always been hard. That's why so few players kind of break through, and they've been a lot kind of around the the you know over the years who who've, who've excelled even at youth level, but but haven't kind of quite managed to to break through. And but the better your team is, the the more difficult it is. And we're all talking about Mbappe twenty twenty and stuff like that. And but where does that leave you know someone like Ryan Brewster? He, not even you know you know he's a, he's a, he's an England's you know youth star. You know that, that, that doesn't even you know you're not even getting to kind of Harry Wilson or whatever. So the the finish line is moving faster than the, some of the young lads are able to reach it. And that's the um, and that's the sad yet wonderful uh, situation that we're in. It is the it is, uh, John's nailed it there. I think. Dan Morgan, it is sad yet wonderful in that, you know, to now suddenly, if you're trying to get 97 points, then you're trying to get 114 points, if you see what I mean, yeah. and what that means is there just isn't isn't a ton of room for manoeuvre, and suddenly the bar for entry is just getting higher and higher and higher. I think so, but I think you've got to judge and balance that with this manager that we've got, you know, this if there was, this was Benitez, and I'm not taking Rafa out here, but he'd have two lads back up at right back before he considered someone from the 23s or the 18s, you know, he'd go and get a Jan Kronkamp or someone else like that um, just to play a bit of a numbers game. Whereas I think, I think this manager intentionally leaves, I wouldn't say spaces, but I think he he leaves certain opportunities in certain positions that if he thinks he's got an eye on someone or he's getting told, and that's the thing, he relies very much as, as, as all top managers do on being told who is up to it and who isn't. And it might just be that at the time there's at this time there's no one who's really up to it coming through. But if they get another trend, a case in point, then I think he is the best, if not one of the best, at creating a pathway. Um and I think he will he'll be brave in that. Let's not forget, you know, some of our fans are pulling pulling their hair out when, you know, Trent's starting at Old Trafford and and we're thinking what are we doing, giving such a young lad 
um, a responsibility like that in 2017. So it can bear fruits, and he's got he's got the evidence of that now. And if you take someone like Chelsea, for example, they've got no reference points. Yeah, they've got nothing to a kid who's tipped to be the next best thing, age 12, to say to his mum and dad. He's just this, and this is how we get. You know, we've literally we can put pictures of Trent all over the academy and go. There's pathways here, which I think is is better than most. I think there's a chance that it, it, it's it's a really good point that you can show people the, the the pathway when you're trying to sign them. And I think that conversely, Camacho can end up being an example of if you don't buy into it and you don't buy into what Liverpool are telling you and what your coaches there are doing because. If he moves on and John thinks he's going to be an international and that's, you know, John's seen loads more of him play footy than I have. I've only seen him in the brief appearances that he's made for the first team. But there's, I'd, I'd imagine just because he's a young player and, and he's taken a risk and no one's actually got much of an idea of what he'll end up being, there's a fair chance that he goes to Sporting Lisbon and it doesn't really work out for him there. And that can then be a cautionary tale to other people where the coaches at the academy, the manager can say, listen, we know what's best for you. Here's an example of a lad who thought he knew better than what we were trying to do. And look, we were, we were putting him along this pathway of this player who thought he was a centre mid, and then we put him right back and he won two European Cups. So, sorry, we, he won a European Cup and played in two finals by the time he was 20. And we tried to show this lad the same thing. We thought he, thought he could be a similar player, but he didn't fancy it. He didn't buy into what he was doing. And he went back to his home country and... Maybe he's an all right squad player there, or maybe he's ended up a little bit further down the Portuguese system, whatever. Um, and it didn't work out for him. And maybe he wasn't talented enough, but also wouldn't it have been nice if he gave us a shot and think about what he could have done while he was with Liverpool? Um, so I think they've got both stories in that sense now. They've got the success ones, but there's a chance that they can also show this one where they worked really hard on a player, he moved on, and then it didn't work for him. And they've also got the sort of interim sort of middle ground of people like Harry Wilson and Ryan Kent and maybe even Groyich if he moves on where they go well we'll do the very best for you and if you really feel like you need to move on and you've gone and done a loan bit and you've done quite well in it then we're happy to do that Solanke as well I think sort of comes under that even though he wasn't really a youth player when we bought him he was in theory a member of the first team squad so I think every club has got a success story that they can point to and certainly Trent is probably the biggest one in, in world footy right now as a player who's come through the ranks of the team but I think it's also good to have a variety <laughs> of things that you can show young players when you're trying to buy them to say well if it goes really well this can happen you know sort of worst case scenario is the maybe you end up going out on loan and then you get a decent move and whatever and we've done right by it and looked after you and alternatively, if you come and you don't buy into it, maybe it ends up like this. So I think it's a really good way of getting them to, to buy into what the club is doing and, and to be able to really map their options out from when they start. Um, I'm loving talking about Southampton left-backs this uh, this transfer window. We're Matt Target. I got some Matt Target action uh, out earlier this week. And now it looks like Matt Target might actually not be going anywhere because Southampton might decide to cash in on Bertrand. John, we know the Liverpool transfer committee, uh, whatever you want to call it. Loves lads it's looked at before. <laughs> um, Bertrand has been immediately linked with Liverpool because of that. It could be absolute nonsense. Uh, he's now a, a fair bit older. Uh, but he is the sort of, him or Target, ironically, are the sort of full-backs I think Liverpool, if they are going to go and get a left-back this summer, are going to end up in the vicinity of. Yeah, I like Ryan Bertrand. Uh, I think he's a, he's a tidy footballer and he might be at the point where he's, he decides that Liverpool... 
even with Andy Robertson there's sort of quite a nice move for him really and that well, well what else does he do slash achieve you know and I'm sure he's been captain of Southampton hasn't he for God's yeah, sake he's yeah. done a lot and people say footballers play every want to play every week but he's done a lot of playing every week like he's 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 done that. He's been up and down the country playing loads of footy, and he might just decide, you know what, I'm going to go to Liverpool, and I might not play every week, but you know he'll back himself, of course, and he and he might think, you know, I'll be one or two here, and yeah, they all love Andy Robertson, and, and why not? He's great, but you know, if I, if, I, if I get in there, then you never know. So he you might just feel that it, it, at this stage of his career, you know, it's it's his, you know, is it a last chance at a. At a at a, at a huge club, I don't, I don't know, but I think I think maybe it makes sense for him. He's been heavily linked to uh, Atletico Madrid, you know, oh, nice. which is bananas. Mm. Uh, Felipe Luis is leaving on a free transfer, so I think if he were to go there, in theory, he'd be their first choice left back because they've just sold Luca Hernandez as well to uh, Bayern. Yeah. Um, so maybe something like that. Yeah, yeah, really, <laughs> mate. Yeah, if we're giving you our best advice. Uh, but it's he's, he's stadium. <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> uh, he's 29, isn't he? Which feels like it's crept up on everyone. Um, I suppose he won a European Cup in 2012, didn't he? When he was, a, he was a young older. player, did you? <laughs> Honestly, he's been now. I thought he was still like 24, like Walcott, no. and then suddenly he's 30 <laughs> as well. Um, I think the only thing on Bertrand is that he only does it in one position. Um, if he's a proper backup. Uh, if he's, you know, if it's someone like Target, I think he can do a bit of left mid, maybe, and he's young enough that maybe he becomes a better player. Whereas Bertrand, you know, you're getting a left fullback, and you know how good he is, and he's not going to get any better. And I think the from the manager's point of view, that doesn't really strike me as the kind of deal he'd want to do because it would be a lad literally on a three-year contract who plays maybe a maximum of of, of twelve a year, doesn't really do him any versatility uh, usage and and isn't going to become a better player I think I think the target one feels a lot more realistic in that I think if you look at him he's, he's got a bit of Robertson when he first comes in about him in that I think he tries to you know I think when he gets beyond the halfway line I think there's a there's an element in him that tries to whip it in a bit too early and I think if they're looking at him as a player they can mould like they did Robertson I think they'll they'll certainly be interested in something like that I'd imagine the questions they're asking are more around what's he like, what's his ability to learn like, does he does he show willing, is he a good trainer? All the things that they do ask when they're trying to get a player in. I think that is something which I mean I'm I'm still really surprised we're not in for Wan Bissaka and we might have been, but it might have been the United thing that I referenced before that they're just willing to throw more money at it and the player's gone for that. Um so it, it would suggest to me that we are looking at just a back up left back in the back four and, and that's that's a lot easier than the, the front three position that we're trying to accommodate for because I think I think just going on to that slightly I think what we're trying to look for in the front three is the player we all thought we were getting in Salah two years ago who when we got when we get Salah in we all think he's predominantly going to be a back up to Mane tons of pace his graphics are increasing all the time in terms of improving but I'm thinking if we're looking around Europe we're not really seeing a player there especially fitting a 40 million bracket who we can just go and get to do that and then there's the Mbappé 2020 thing, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's the elephants in the room. <laughs> so I think if targets one they can just get done or someone similar to that ilk, then I think they will and then they can focus on the other thing. Okay, uh, thank you very much indeed to Dan, to Dan and to John uh, and to um, Anders Borg and to Simon Edwards. It's been a fantastic little weekend for you. Have a fantastic time this weekend. Take it easy, relax. Liverpool are in, on top of matters and you know what I mean? We've all got Mbappé 2020 to look forward to. Sports Social Podcast Network.